For this Common Science cast, we're bringing you back to the 1950s. Now, this was a crazy time. The television was just popping off. It had been around about 10 years. In addition to that, we're just starting to get look a look at what the body looks like inside beyond doing exploratory surgery. Um, in, immunization and vaccine is just around the corner. The double helix structure is discovered. It's a crazy time. Things are popping off in science, in medicine, in technology, in industry. However, this was also a time of exploitation. And today we're going to focus specifically on one story of exploitation, Henrietta Lacks. She was a mother of five, and in 1951 she went into Johns Hopkins' well-known hospital today, and was then as well, for some vaginal bleeding. And she had felt um, a lump within her vagina and wanted to seek out care. Now, at the time, Johns Hopkins was one of the only institutions that was providing care for underrepresented individuals, specifically for black people who could not or could not pay or had had little amounts to pay, which I suppose was reputable for the time. And Henrietta Lacks went in seeking care. Now, it was discovered that she had a tumor and specifically it was ovarian cancer. And to make a long story short... Her cells were taken, um, biopsied is the term that we use today and then, and they were the first cells to be able to be grown independent of a human body, and then they were profited off of. And they're still around today, actually. So with that kind of general sense, I want to dive a little more into the story of Henrietta Lacks and what happened and why it's such a controversy. So I'll toss it to Dre first to hear a bit more about the controversy surrounding this instance. To the best of my ability, the controversy controversy essentially is that she was not asked um, if she if they could take her cells, right? And of course, that's part of your body. <laughs> that's if anything's your property, it's your body. <laughs> um, and so they took her cells, and then like um, Lauren talked about, they ended up being like these wild successes that this doctor, Doctor Gay, maybe Doctor G, um, G E Y, um, he was looking for cells that could be grown, and eventually he found them in Henrietta. And the controversy, essentially, there's been a couple of things. There's been some that I deem to be more credible than others. For example, just like bodily rights. Like, can a doctor just snatch up your cells just because you're in there without any sort of permission? Right? That seems like an ethical <laughs> discussion to be had. But then there's also a slant that throughout history has, or at least had, gained a lot of steam, which was hitchiness to the exploitation and oppression of black people as well and that is to the best of my ability the controversy yeah absolutely so not to mention the cells went on to create profits oh, of yeah, right. billions and billions of dollars i mean pr probably today i don't know if you could even quantify the amount of money that has come from the gila cell line so let me just explain a bit of this science for our listeners. When you have a tumor, and specifically when you have a cancerous tumor, it has evolved because 
in your cell regulation, instead of normal checkpoints in the cell, it can grow uncontrollably. So normal cells, if they started growing too fast, your body would be like, ah, oh, crap, we got to get rid of this cell. It's growing too fast. And they would, <laughs> they would kind of shut it down. But in cancer or in tumors, your body doesn't have this same mechanism to check it out. It's kind of like it can fly under the radar. And this creates opportunities for cells to grow really quickly. And when they grow really quickly in one area, right, they form what we know is a tumor, like a hard mass that you can feel. And at the time in the 1950s, what they were trying to do was see if they could isolate some cells from a tumor and grow them in like petri dishes in a lab, right? They're wondering, hmm, is there a way that we could take this so we can study it, which today is what we know as cancer research, right? So they were able to take some cells from Henrietta Lacks, who was probably one of many people they just took samples from. And because her cells proliferated, which means grow and spread, divided so quickly, they were able to have success with her cells specifically. And they were one of the first cell lines to be termed immortal, living on and on forever. So that was in 1951. Henrietta Lacks died in 1951 also, despite receiving uh, radion treatment for her cancer. And still today, in 2021, yeah, 2021, her cells are being used in labs to study cancer, to study ovarian cancer. So it is kind of a crazy story. Yeah. Um, yeah, what was crazy to me... <laughs> <laughs> what was crazy to me about the about the story is just the I mean yeah just the contrast between the significant benefits that the Gila cell line has had to like scientific pursuits and medical understanding um so in in 1954 not long after uh Henrietta Lacks's death uh, just three years after, Jonas Salk uh, was using his using the HeLa cells in his research to develop the polio vaccine, um, and so yeah, I mean that's just one example of many other advancements that came from it. Uh, and yet, like so, it, it wasn't until the seventies that uh, that the Henrietta Lacks family. Uh, understood that these cells were even in use in mm -hmm. in medical research so and and i mean not so funny but funny enough the researchers were like oh crap we actually need the family mm -hmm. um and we need their help uh because a large portion of other cell cultures uh became contaminated by hela cells and so uh members of the henrietta Lacks family were being called up because people wanted to study their genetics. They wanted to figure out, oh, how can we separate these HeLa cells back out from these other cell lines? Um, so, yeah, I mean, all these family members were like, what the heck is going on? And, and soon eventually, like, figured out the reason. Um, but it is, to me, just the, the contrast between the two is, is so so wild especially given that i think henrietta lax was buried in an unmarked grave which was just mm -hmm. yeah 
And even when her family was then approached years later, um, explaining to someone, explaining to anyone, what I just ex- tried to explain to you guys is hard, is, is hard to do. I won't pretend that I did it well either, right? How can it be possible that your cells are still living after someone has passed away, especially if you don't understand what a cell is? And so that contributed to the controversy with their family, right? How can you have informed consent? How can you ask someone to consent to or agree to fully knowingly, which is what informed consent is supposed to be, to do something like donate your genetics or allow blood samples or whatever it was? Um, And that also contributed to, yeah, a big piece of the controversy regarding this whole story and how it unfolded. Yeah, one of the, like, delineations that I've been trying to understand that I guess I don't know enough about the specific situation with Henrietta Lacks uh, was so in 1990, in a similar case uh, at the Supreme Court level, uh, Moore versus Regents of the University of California, the court ruled that a person's discarded tissue and cells are not their property and can be commercialized. So was Henrietta Lacks's cells, uh, like, were, were they extracted because of solely the, the cancer and used... I mean, not solely for the cancer, but were they extracted for the purposes of treating the cancer? And then they were like, oh, we could maybe use these for research. Or was it like an intentional additional extraction? I'm not sure if you know or if that like differentiation even matters. Yeah, I don't know that it matters, but I know that they certainly were biopsying cells. So they would have taken a sample and generally there are extra tissue samples taken too. I mean depending on the context. And I don't know if that's still true today. Biopsying, yes. Extra sampling, I don't know. Um, but I do believe now you you have to consent to allowing tissue to be used uh, in studies and for sure publishing genetics. How do you guys feel about that? What it, Publishing genetics, having your genome out to the world... I mean, a lot of this stuff is honestly over my head a little bit. <laughs> I'm just like, to me, I don't. What I mean by that is, I don't really see the big deal in it. Um, it doesn't really see seem too controversial to me. Um, I understand, right? <laughs> like I understand that. Yes, yeah, she like specifically in Henrietta and anybody else's case, there should be some sort of um, consent or there should be consent, but. Do I have some sort of strong feeling about my genome being in public? No. Really? Yeah. What about you, Aiden? Why, why not? Why would I? Tell me why you guys think that you do have some problem yeah. with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, I guess the the problem with it that I would see, which like I think is maybe less of a problem in my case, but who, who knows, but um, given that I am a quite healthy individual, um, the general argument against having people's genomes like available publicly is that 
especially in the U.S. where health insurance companies are privatized, uh, one of the ways that they could assess your risk would be, oh, this person's genetic code means that they have a, an increased risk of this disorder or they ha they are guaranteed to have this disorder like at some point in their life. Um, and so that kind of challenge is is definitely an ethical consideration whether or not like for myself yeah it's a hard question um it's a hard question because i generally advocate for open science and open access i mean i think about the coronavirus vaccine but again that's and how that came from the publishing of the covid genome but that like and all the benefits that could probably come from having openly available genomes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if the benefits outweigh the cons. Okay, so we've I've given consent. They've taken my cells. My genome is out public. But in my research, they said that ever, or not ever since, but since HeLa, since all this has kind of been publicized, now, though, so, um, genomes are encoded, though. So it's not, it's not like it's HeLa cells. Like, we're not, if I can be on our cells, you know, that I can, like, have my initials or, like, my letters in there. It's, like, it's like a code. So are, would they actually know that it's me or is it just I'm just a number? It's just my number of cells that those, that number would be publicized. You should be just the number, right? But there almost always is a record somewhere that someone could theoretically find. And the more digitalized we are, the more hackable that is. And so it is very possible that your name could be attached to your genome. Now, if you do 23andMe or Ancestry, your name is attached to your genome um, and out there, I mean, for the world. And I think the implications of that could, could be huge, but largely people don't know because they don't understand. Yeah. So I do want to take it again to the science a little bit what is a genome so everyone has in your body cells right we're made up of these tiny little pieces of life that make up you they make up cells then tissues then organs then you and within each cell there is a genetic code or a code that we talk about like dna that is the building blocks or what makes up you. So if you picture yourself as like a little Lego man, right? Like you could picture the Legos making up your your DNA, right? These building blocks that go together that make you, you. And DNA can tell us so much. Genomes can tell us so much about you that we can know what diseases you're more prone toward. We can diagnose you with all sorts of different things. We know how prone you are to sleep well. We know what you might be allergic to. We know a lot of information about you. And like J like Aiden had alluded to, it is possible then if health insurance companies had this data that they could say, oh, we're not going to insure this group of people. However, it could be really helpful if more genomic data was publicized because genomic data can help us figure out how to better diagnose populations. 
Um, and currently, about 80% of the genomic data that we have uh, in use today is from individuals of European descent. And that actually can cause misdiagnosis. So if there is a specific uh, condition that's associated with like European ancestry, then we might miss a whole population of like black individuals or African individuals um, because of missing data. So there's a lot of different issues here and a lot of science at play too that's hard to understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess getting so with 23andme and ancestry.com just to also clarify i think like it doesn't in those instances the data is not out there to the world the companies have the data and then they use that to and like provide you with information um so it's not that anybody then can go in and access your genetic code um so i just wanted to clarify that but also, um, yeah, so as far as the, the genome and, yeah, some of the, I mean, just the tough and messy questions that come along with it, um, yeah, as, as Lauren said, the genome is the term used for all of your genetics, uh, and it, it, and your genetics are made up of your DNA, and it's just kind of like an instruction manual for your body. Um, so it, it provides these instructions for your body to um, live uh, and and learn and all these things. And yeah, uh, the problems with it are definitely, there's lots of ethical issues. Um, and I think yeah, it's just, it's definitely tough to uncouple the the potential misuse from the potential benefits. Um, I mean, yeah, what was just wild to me is is the advancements of medicine that did come from Henrietta Lacks's cells, but also to whom I guess would be the other consideration is who did benefit from it. It tended to be the the white and the wealthy who could afford the health care at, at wherever else. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, it's complex for sure. Um, I saw that, so when they were, pro when they approached Henrietta's family, Dorothy, her daughter, was just genuinely curious, I guess, her entire life about more, learning more about her mother and all that type of stuff. Her brothers, I read, were not as interested until they found out money was involved. And since you were talking about money, I believe Henrietta's cells were the, like the first biological, like what material like sold um, in America. And like it was like selling like hotcakes. And the brothers, maybe rightfully, wanted in on that. The family wanted in on that. Number one, to, for you guys and your guys eyes what well, actually number one did they see any money from this i i don't remember my reading and number two do they have any right to any of these profits in your guys's minds 
I believe they were monetarily compensated. I don't remember when or how much, and I think it was small in comparison to what was being made. Right, because they would have been compensated for like the um, like the crime of not asking for permission, not yep. the profit. Like yep. it's not like they're like, oh, we did, we got this, so we'll give you this. It's like, no, we should have asked. Right. Okay. Yeah. In general, I don't think that selling sells. Um, that will proliferate or could potentially allow for discovery of some cure or something um, should reap benefit for the patient because it's the work of the research that gets there, right? I, I worked with tons of, I mean, tons of cancer cells when I worked in cancer research, um, probably from a, a large assortment of patients um, at some point that it originated and or from animals, whether they were human cells or not. And um, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours trying to figure out and elicit responses of good pharmacological interventions for ovarian cancer specifically is what I also worked in. Um, and I don't think that those people then are entitled to anything for a couple of reasons those cells are are not really them right that is not they're not an entity i don't think um those cells could not live on their own and therefore too i don't i would not say that it's like a um a piece of you is living on in the same way that a child does and so those are my main like schools of thought and i think most of the scientific community would agree with that sentiment yeah um yeah it was kind of funny in the lead up to this episode kind of playfully i i threw out the question of is henrietta still alive uh so lauren is says no what do you think dre so these cell lines that are are her cells um, same genetics I would, well that's the thing they said that it has a completely different genome because it's cancer cells. So oh, okay. they have more, what, I don't know, chromosomes and all that. So it's technically not really, it's not genetically it's, similar. Okay. Um, if it were genetically the same, we might have, at least in the future, we might have a different question with cloning and all that. So I'm not quite sure where that leads us. But as of now, no, <laughs> because of <laughs> because of the genetic difference, and because I don't see what would ha- see what would happen if they try to create, and I, I don't I'm not a master at cloning. I've only looked into a couple like the sheep. I know like recently there was Elizabeth Ann, the black-footed ferret, that was cloned. Did you guys see that? Yeah. So endangered species. That's really cool. But I'm not really sure how the ins and outs of it. I don't know. Like, do they just grab some? cells and just like start growing them in a lab i'm not really sure could that be possible with this genetic like this these cells that are genetically dissimilar to humans yeah the other thing to note is that in research especially in cancer research when you're working with a specimen it's important to Keep the specimen as closely related to the original cell line as possible and so in order to do that right away 
So if you start with one cell and it's a cancer cell and it divides really quickly and you're growing them in like a little plate, um, you might over the course of four days grow 10 million cells or something to that effect. Now when you freeze down cells, you have to freeze between, and depending on the cell line, between maybe like two and 5,000 cells. Arbitrarily depends on a lot of factors, but bear with me. So you might be able to freeze down then like 10 samples that are very closely related to that original cell that you got, but they are not the same because they have already had some genetic exchange and are a daughter generation, right? So if we're talking about this, but now we're talking about like 80 years that have gone by, the difference in HeLa cells today to the difference or to what they were when we got them from Henrandalax is immense, right? We are talking about generations and generations and generations and generations of cells. I mean, if you think about 80 years, that's maybe only two generations of humans. But if a cell can divide in five minutes, we're talking about billions of generations, right? And so asking whether or not that's still her is almost obsolete in the world of science because it has had so many opportunities to change and evolve. And depending on the selective pressures and how good the science was, there are a lot of people who don't even use HeLa cells in the lab because they are not very indicative of treatment success on ovarian cancer because there's, they have evolved so much. I have a is that still her question. <laughs> in the future, when we can fully clone humans and we can clone all their memories and all that brain is intact so everything's exactly the same we clone a human to another person into the clone is that clone her everything is the same memories and everything but now it's just a different physical entity is that still her i'd say so continuation because i would say that it's a continuation of the same well are, are they, they two? Is the original entity still living? Are they and are the consciousness are the consciousnesses connected? So like yeah, if if Conchi? they're Conchi? <laughs> if they're if they're both alive, are they like are they like mind reading each other, or is there like is there any connection there, or is it like they start off at the same point and then they both go off and live? their own lives <laughs> that matters <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so they're in their little their embryonic tubes <laughs> <laughs> they pop out at the same time and yeah after that it's just whatever that person's brain decides to do as soon as they pop out they're going to be different instantly one's going to look one way one's going to look the other way depending on light sources that yeah draw their attention or whatever the exact same but every, every memory and everything else is the same they're not the same they're instantly yeah, different i would think they're that instantly they be, different i think they'd be different like kind of like a twin i mean kind of like the twin scenario 
even identical twins were evolved to be who are identical copies of one another because of environmental pressures will end up completely different and certainly if you put them in totally different um, contexts if you look at adoption studies of genetically same twins um, you'll also find that they are exceptionally different in many ways Okay. So I think as soon as you have the ability to form your own memories and your own experiences, you are your own person and you could not, therefore, have an identical copy unless you're simultaneously sharing thought and experience. Okay, let's slightly change it. This person, um, let's call them Camila, is on their deathbed. No, no, not Camila. Not you Camila. have a Camila in your life? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, who has a Camila in their life? <laughs> I have zero Camilas. Never for a this second. This cute little second grade girl that, <laughs> that I helped through. Just no, it's not Camila. Okay, um, <laughs> let's go with um. I don't even know what's a good name. I was gonna say Esther, but that's your cat. <laughs> That's just a great name, though. I love that name. Ooh, how about Patrick? Patrick. So gross. Exactly. <laughs> Unless it's Patrick He's Singer. On his oh, my. Or not Patrick Singer. Is that his name? Patrick Singer? I think that's his name. Yeah. Um. All right, Patrick. So we have Patrick. They're on their deathbed. As soon as they die, they get cloned exactly. Memories, all that good stuff. So the, even in their memory, they died. They remember, like, they're all died. Now only there's only one Patrick. <laughs> the original died. Is that the same person? And in light of that, what sort of responsibilities, obligations, rights, debts, familiar ties are they required to have or bound to are they in a body that was the same different body completely regrown from their cells but they it's but, like a continuation of the consciousness every, yeah everything's yeah. the same like to him he's still patrick like, he, nothing's different for him yeah it's it's patrick it's just a different physical body yeah i would say and it's then, patrick does he have to pay like child support does he have to pay off his student loans it's patrick and like it's on him like patrick man you gotta decide it's on you you gotta decide yeah that's right and... well yeah no i would say I would say you're still, like, I'm thinking of, so there's a, a sci-fi series called Altered Carbon, which sounds pretty similar to this idea where they have, like, they call them sleeves, which are just our physical bodies, and they'll, like, you'll live one life and then in one physical body, and then if that physical body dies, you can just upload yourself to another physical body. Um, and if it's like something similar to that, where it's like this one conscience and that is what's just being transported from body to body, I think I would say that you're still like legally the same person. If I were offered the chance to upload my conscious into a new body so that this Lauren could die, 
and I could fly under the radar and, like, tell my family and friends for sure, but evade my student loans, I would. Same, of course. Same, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in, in Altered Carbon, are, is, is there's a thing that is physical consciousness or metaphysical, whatever, that they can upload, or is it like their brain? So I think it's like, uh, it's kind of like a it's computer like chip. Link. It's like a, oh, so it's they like a disk that goes neurons, whatever, yeah. and upload the consciousness. It's like com- kind of like a computer thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, but that's a little different than my scenario, and the, but that's also a very fascinating scenario. And I think I agree with you guys that that is the same person with all of the same obligations and bound to all the same things. Um, in my scenario, though, this he started off God. as a, a cult where he died and remember dying. Remember dying. This is a culture that had no say. In your scenario, the same conscience had a say. In this scenario, there was a culture that was biopsied and had no say. It was grown from mm. cellular oblivion and emerged as the exact same person as this person. So, But they didn't have the same... They didn't choose to do this. That cell didn't. So they emerged. And even though they're, they're, everything's the same... In my eyes, this person is not has no legal legal obligations to marriage, debt, Do they any remember, of that stuff. Though? They remember. They remember everything. So you're saying, so you're saying, like, oh, I died. Science was using some of my cells, and they decided to grow me up. No, you can. They grew it, me up as the same exact person. That could be a said. scenario, but even if Patrick, the original Patrick, decided this is what I want you to do, mm. but that Patrick is still dead. In Ultra Carbon, nobody died. Your consciousness right. was just, alt- was just, or at least that's what it seems. Maybe they did die, right? But I mean, um, the body died. The body died, but their con, their, yeah, I don't know. Their consciousness was but uploaded. I see, I see what you're saying. But here, no. there's no conscious uploaded. It was a regrown with all the yeah. same memories. New I consciousness, see, just exactly the same. I see what you're saying about the difference. Can I just there. say? If that ever happens and I think you're dead and you come back <laughs> and you don't come find me, fuck you. And it's like, you know what? We had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> Life <So>, too. Two <laughs> 2.0. 2.0. Let's go. Bro, I'm so dude. serious. I. And <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? So you're saying I should be held to my responsibilities? <laughs> I'm not your responsibility. I'm your best friend. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> um, man, that's a tough question. Um, but I see the delineation that you're drawing there, though. That the grown up version and the grown up person did not choose, or like the at least that physical entity did not choose. It's really only an illusion that they chose because they're identical. Right. But they actually, but it seems like in Alter Carbon, it is the same person, it seems like. This, it just is an illusion because everything is the same. Similar to like, or maybe not exactly the same, but kind of like asexual creatures. They just clone, or even cells. They just clone themselves. But it's like, that's not the same cell. That's a clone of the cell. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's still that clone. That's still that cell's baby. It's just exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with like salamanders yeah. and stuff that go asexual. Yeah. Then, yeah thinking about that that uh distinction and the example too that you brought up of asexual reproduction i think is is super relevant and to our listeners that just means uh 
reproduction without sex. So sex requires multiple organisms, um, whereas asexual reproduction would be just one organism being able to produce another organism. Um, yeah, I think I think they would be different people then. But yeah, it is a weird illusion, like in my imagination as I'm as I'm trying to conceptualize it. Uh, Lauren, do you have any out there thought experiments for us? I'm just stuck on like <laughs> if you die, <laughs> someone grows you, and you don't come back to me. I'm gonna be so sad. So here's another question for you guys: Should we on the I mean, I do think that it is, so these kinds of questions are important to talk about, uh, given that we are kind of on the, I mean, we are living through a biological revolution. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, between gene editing, sequencing, 3D printing, all these crazy technologies that are the stuff of sci-fi, um, do you guys think we should resurrect the woolly mammoth mm. it sounds amazing um it sounds awesome it sounds like we should do it to me but it just you just don't know what reintroducing ancient creatures with ancient illnesses and predispositions would do to our current genome and environment ecology so it sounds awesome but so this is so this is this similar with the cloning type of stuff. So if we're talking about like there was that bacteria over quarantine or whatever it was, that virus that was in the ice that they were like trying to like awake or whatever you guys heard about that or no, you didn't. Oh, there was like some sort of like, I don't know, 100,000 year old virus or something that like they found an ice yeah. and they were thinking about like waking it up or whatever, something crazy like that. I don't know. But people were like, oh, like, we don't need that. Like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that in the Arctic <laughs> permafrost. Like, we yeah. do not need that. But, so, if we found a woolly mammoth, um, which I guess we have, and we were, like, resurrecting that precise one with all of its microbiome and all that type of stuff, that seems, like, completely idiotic. But, again, taking its cells, which hopefully don't have all of that other stuff and just giving it new life it still does have certain predispositions and certain like a certain genetic code that maybe i don't know, like maybe like a virus a pandemic can spread way 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 more readily with this animal than any animals we have now so that could be really bad shoot i don't know it just sounds so cool see it's okay so this hold up that's the thing it's like all these cons but like woolly mammoths (laughs) woolly mammoths how how much student debt do you have um just left yeah uh maybe like 15 grand or something wow congratulations how much did you start with like 50 okay i have 70 how much did you have when you finished a 32 okay collectively all of our student debts combined would not keep a woolly mammoth alive for three days. Hmm. The United States should not, should not be wasting money on something like that. How much does it cost to... Wait, where are you pulling this out out of? Your arse? (laughs) 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 
Okay, so. What is this fact? <laughs> what is this fact? <laughs> Inconvenient. Seventy. <laughs> Super inconvenient. Seventy, thirty-five, fifty, about one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Woolly mammoths eat a shit ton. They need a lot of space. They also require vets. They also require, I mean, food, habitat, and the list goes on and on and on. It costs billions of dollars to keep pandas alive. So it's gotta cost more than that to keep woolly mammoth alive. That's probably true. And if it costs billions of dollars to keep a panda alive for a year, one panda. Yeah. Then Hold it's on. gotta I'm cost. I'm not sure about a panda, but an elephant costs approximately seventy grand a year annually. Yep. Yeah, and that's not including cloning or experimentation or. Care of an aged or unhealthy elephant can easily escalate to a hundred thousand dollars plus are annually. Look it up. Are pandas even important to the environment? Why are no, we keeping pandas alive? Because people think they're cute. Because of yin and yang. And they don't. <laughs> they don't naturally fornicate. We have to basically pay tons and tons of money oh. and do all of this research to get them to reproduce. It's very, very. There's a reason things go extinct. Pandas should be extinct. How much do they cost a year? Uh, I don't know, but they cost a million dollars to rent. So to if you rent, had... that's great. They don't make because they're always so. Listen all to this. Listen around. to this. The Chinese government owns nearly all the giant pandas on Earth, and American zoos will shell up to a million dollars a year to rent just one. A, a million dollars a year. Most signed so tenure. Most signed tenure panda <laughs> diplomacy true. contracts, and if any baby cu- cubs are born. Uh, they pay an additional one-time $400,000 baby tax. Wow. Okay, so if that's it from costs... Bu- that's from Business Insider. So if it costs that much to keep... Okay, so here's a hot take. Pandas are overrated. Sure, they're cute. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I accidentally uh, got the click-in video. I rolling. agree. I agree so all overrated. I'm saying is that 150 k would be a drop in the hat to the amount of money it would cost to keep yeah, it probably a woolly, cost a a woolly mammoth alive or mammoth. to produce a woolly mammoth. Yeah. Way more you, important you would, shit to be spending yeah, on. Yeah. I don't you, know. Yeah. Rocket fuel costs a lot too. I mean, That's. They haven't been back to the moon since right, like 69. Right. So, I don't know. It's true. See, okay, so I yeah, don't. Yeah, Spend all the money, get more debt, and that sounds like a great. Money thing. is illusory as well. It's so it's it's made up concept. So we Question. need to we need to be, be trans to money. Sell our organs. Uh While we're talking about selling body parts and wasting money. Our ovaries and organ. Yep. Hmm. I think maybe only ovaries because there's so much and losing them a few doesn't put you, I don't think, at too much risk to my understanding versus like losing one kidney puts you at an extreme risk. Even though you don't need both, you're at a risk. (laughs) The problem with selling them, I see is obviously with human trafficking already a problem and i I, to my knowledge that already exists is a black market organ 
I mean, maybe, I guess, if it was legal, you could regulate it enough that it would cut into the business of these bad actors, but... That's the legalized drugs theory, right? Yeah. I think I'd sell just about any body part for 100000 What? For a hundred k? Your arm? That's it? I mean... Your arm? Any that's it? body part that I don't need. What body part well, do you not what need? What body part don't you need? Like a lobe of my lung, or one of my livers, or a couple of my ovaries, or... What happens when that wine hits and that cirrhosis hits that liver? I hardly drink. Well, your genome might be predisposed to cirrhosis. My genome might be predisposed, but by then I'll be making bank and I can pay someone else for their liver. That is real extreme. We need to start selling your organs to get that woolly mammoth off the ground. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's why we need to do it. That's a startup idea right there. (laughs) There we go. That's 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 an extreme take. It's an extreme. I disagree take. with that. I would not yeah, do that. I'm not selling none of my body parts <laughs> for 100k. That's wild. No, What's not. the difference between selling body parts and selling naked pictures? A big difference. You still got your body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's what's happening here? What kind of conversation does this go to? All right, you might have gotten me on the woolly mammoth thing, but that's only <laughs> reviving them or cloning them. What if we just can genetically engineer any creature we want, like dragons? Like dragons, of course. You know where I was going. <laughs> Definitely dragons. <laughs> and then we can also genetically engineer their temperaments, their susceptibility to modern diseases. What kind of genetic engineering are you talking about that would not involve, like, any embryo stage? There would be an embryonic stage, but I'm saying once we get to the point of being like, here is a banana cell, let's cover that extra 50% and make it a chimpanzee cell. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that's in the next two, four years, but maybe seven (laughs) to eight years. (laughs) Maybe in my 40s. (laughs) Maybe 200 years oh, from now. Man. You don't think that's going to be possible? We can just take... Like, I feel like we would just be able to take some sort of eukaryote. I'm just using words I, I learned in biology. <laughs> I have no idea what these words mean. Prokaryote, eukaryote. We can take something mitochondria and just be like... Condition, 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 condition. Boom, cell. Boom, 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 boom. Engineer. Let's chop up some DNA. Gattaca. By ma'am. <laughs> Life. Life. We talked. We had the whole magic episode. This, this is not magic anymore. You guys are not believers. You have little faith. I'm, you guys don't think that's gonna be possible. I I think it's gonna be possible. Whether we should or should not be just creating life here and there and barfing up woolly mammoths on the street. Like I don't know about that. Man, nothing's more human than that. Dumbass. Barfing up woolly mammoths. <laughs> uh, we gotta create dragons. If we don't create dragons, by the time I die, I'm gonna be just so upset. All you gotta do is put wings on a lizard. Like, how hard can that be? How do you know? Plus, like, aren't lizards and birds like kind of like the Dra- you know? Thing? Just go to the Minnesota State Zoo. There is a Komodo dragon. It doesn't have wings though. Yeah, no wings. Just <laughs> drop some bald eagle dragon DNA is in there. In the name. Yeah, it's a little Draco. I don't want a Draco. I want a full-fledged so dragon. So just need wings? Yeah, wyvern. Scales. I'll go for anything like that. Wings and scales and can fly. Okay, chicken. <laughs> Can't fly. They can fly! Only call that like flying. 10 feet. Does not count. No, I want a full-fledged dragon spitting acid, devouring things, soul bonding. 
I want all that. Man, so, so, <laughs> so the Gila sells. <laughs> and Henry had a lax. That's what I'm going to name my dragon, too. Hella. All I right, mean. all right. All right. <laughs> who, who says that? All right, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, wasn't he in Reign of Fire? <laughs> well, he was in Reign of Fire, wasn't he? You guys see that movie? He's in, it comes full circle. We're getting dragons. We are getting dragons. See, this is a spam. You can't okay, even play this up. God's plan. Let's, <laughs> let's settle down. So we have been all over the board, right? But it started with a story of science. It started with one thing that we didn't think was possible that all of a sudden was possible in the 1950s and unfortunately involved some exploitation of a patient and her family, right? But at the end of the day, asking these questions of these crazy outlandish ideas, mammoths, dragons, what have you, is how we can converse about common science and how we can also prepare ourselves for what's coming in the next years. We don't know what that will look like, but just not that long ago in the 1950s, we didn't really have vaccines. We didn't really have imaging and look at where we are today. So if that doesn't encourage you to get out and ask questions, I don't know what will.